hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Recent changes to 529 education savings plans could now help fund your retirement. What? Which makes them unicorns because they can now fund both college and retirement. What is a 529 plan and how can you use it to fund college and retirement? Well, you're listening to Career Money episode number 422. And today we're joined by Paul Curley, Director of Savings Research, where he oversees data, research, events, and is a thought leader on 529 education plans, as well as ABLE accounts for institutional clients. Paul shares the ins and outs of 529 plans, including these important changes that recently happened. So let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. Today, we are talking about a topic that I think a lot of LGBT folks are not necessarily really engaged with, in part because the vast majority of us do not have children. And so this topic is not something that is a conversation piece in our community. We don't talk about it at brunch for some reason. But there have been some changes to this topic that may encourage more of us to be thinking about this, even those of us who are a little bit older. (laughs) But definitely, we know that more of us are having children. So we are joined today by Paul Curley, who is a specialist when it comes to talking about 529 plans. So welcome to the Queer Money Podcast, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to get us started, since it's not a topic so many of us are familiar with, what is a 529 plan and where does that number come from? (laughs) (laughs) Great question. A 529 plan is a tax-advantaged investment vehicle that helps all families in the U.S. save and pay for future educational expenses. And the number 529 itself, you know, comes from a, a, a tax code, IRS tax code. So as much as, you know, 529s are, are great and it's a, it's a great product, but more people need to know about it. The number itself comes from tax code. So we're, we're trying to work and, and help get the, the message out there to as many families as, as possible. It means right. a sexier name to catch people's attention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or we need just to figure out how to spice it up. How do you spice up your 529 marketing, right? Yeah. Right. So uh, you say that it's a vehicle for families in the U.S. to be able to plan for, I want to say college, but it's evolved to much so much more than that, right? Give us some idea of what a 529 plan can be used for and how it has evolved over the last few years, especially. You know, great question. And it really has evolved, you know, greatly. So at the very beginning, in, in the beginning, in, in the 80s, it was really just for college tuition and then expanded over to room and board. It, it expanded to computers and peripherals. We're all on computers and that, that makes sense. And then more recently, it expanded over to apprenticeships and K through 12 tuition and even repaying student loans up to 10,000 for a lifetime. And what's really, you know, cool and intriguing is that next year, 
we're going to start to be able to roll over 529 assets or to Roth IRAs. So it's really just open up this this whole you know you know door of options to you know in terms of planning. It's like what what happens if you don't go to go to you know college you know so it's like well what what if they go to apprenticeships you know as we were talking you know briefly before if if someone doesn't go to college because they become disabled you can roll the assets over to able accounts now which is a, a very similar parallel product you know for those you know with a disability but what if what if they just don't go at all you know not, now they now there's the option to roll over the assets over to you know Roth IRAs for retirement because as much as you know, no one saves enough for college. Definitely, no one saves enough for retirement. So right. there's there's, a, there's all this there's all this in, interwebbed work, and and so it's a, it's a great, you know, great development. So yeah, yeah. So I think initially when I was working on the phones at Charles Schwab, the the upsell at that time was well, if if the student doesn't use all the money or doesn't use any of the money, it can go to another beneficiary. But now they've greatly expanded it. So can you still transfer, change the beneficiary, and also still fund various? Roth IRAs and help pay down existing student loan debts for various people? What's really been fun, I've been covering 529 since 2010, is, is that there's you know all these different inner workings, right? So there's there, the policy has been you know passed from a legislative perspective, but how that gets implemented is still to be announced TBD. You know, so there's there's a lot of the different you know ins and outs, but there's really only seven bullet points. Lifetime cap of of thirty seven thousand. There's the annual cap, which of you know this year is is six thousand five hundred. So so it will take a couple different years. It's really meant to be rolled over to the beneficiary of the five two nine plan. So that money will go to that person. But the the question around can you can you change the beneficiary? You know that that still is a, is a question mark because the, there's mm-hmm. a couple different time period rules. One is that it has to be in the account for like the 529 account needs to be open for 15 years. The other is that you're looking at the assets as of five years ago. So that the assets, the 35,000 or, or you know, 6,500 per year has to be in there five years ago. But you bring up a very good question. Like, you know, what about this operational question of like, okay, so what happens if you change that one beneficiary to five? Does that sort of, or just, you know, change one beneficiary to one beneficiary? Can you roll it over to that one person? I, I think that's a very intriguing question. I think just from a progressional perspective, you know, just as a big picture, it's like, oh, what happens if, you know, Timmy doesn't go to college? Like now you can you know, roll it over to the Roth IRA. And so that's sort of like where the legislative piece kind of halted. And then it's like, then there will be correctional changes. It, it's sort of the, uh, like, tech, it's called like technical changes to bills to sort of like, like add in those elements. But you have a very good point. Like, what about all these different scenarios that that are beyond the like the more traditional eighty percent of bread and butter type of activity? And so, so that's a very good question. TBD. We're in July. We have we have you know a couple of months until like you know twenty twenty four. So it, we'll we'll see where we are by the end of the year. So yeah, it it does seem like that. That's a very common thing when legislation gets passed. It gets passed and then they they just kind of hand it off to the IRS and say, here you go. You figure out how to make this work. You figure out how to define this. And that's I think that's the struggle with a lot of this kind of legislation that has a, a tax implication is that there's a lot of goodwill or intention with what they want to do. And folks, what we're really talking about is this came out of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023, that this is where this this change has happened, that folks can choose 
to move money from a 529 plan into a Roth IRA. Let's kind of get back to the 529 plan. What are some of the differences or benefits? Why someone, either a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, or a friend may want to start a 529 plan for a beneficiary? And why why may you want to start one for yourself? Well, I, I I do think that you know broadly speaking, like why would why would someone want to you know save for education? Well, education is very important. You know, it's critical. It's just you know just having that education has has many different metrics. And and, and broadly speaking, there's there's a number of benefits not just for the person but the community at, at large. And so I, I I do think that the value of education is important. You know, a number of people do just save in a in a bank account. So it's we're we're Previously, there used to be very low interest rates, and you know, at, at the current rates, it's higher. But even with that higher interest rate, it, it is taxed. So, from for five to nine plans, there's there's two different you know major layers. There's the, the there's the federal benefit. So, so you put the money in, it grows tax deferred, and when used for qualified expense, such as you know, college tuition or or any of those qualified expenses we talked about, it's you know tax exempt. So so you don't even report it on on your return. You, you'll get a ten ninety nine, but it's really just to show the paperwork that the distribution took place, but it's qualified, so there's, there's no taxes. At the state level, roughly 32, 34 states provide state tax deductions or state tax credits for on that money coming in. So, so you put the money in, you get a state tax deduction or credit, and then it grows tax deferred. And then when used for qualified expenses, it's you know comes out w- without any tax or, or penalty, you know, like that. So, so that's that's one of the the main you know benefits overall from a just you know pure tax perspective. There are benefits from a, from a financial aid perspective that it is you know just you know looked at as a benefit beneficial way. It's a very you know cheap estate planning tool <laughs> as well. So it, like instead of a trust, which which being the expensive, there's annual cost to you know trust, but to the extent that you can name a beneficiary on a five two nine accounting in case you know something happens. So it's there's that that is that built-in estate planning tool, but it's also just a, a way to sort of set it and forget it. You know, we were talking about David Bach earlier, just the automatic contributions every month, putting in 1% of, of your income or, or $50, you know, a month. The, the average contribution actually works out to $6 a, a day, right? So it's not, it, we're not talking about like, oh, I have to be a millionaire to open and fund an account. A lot of plans actually don't have account minimums to, to open up. And then a, a lot of people, on average, when you balance it all out, the average you know amount going in is is you know six dollars a, a day. What's very intriguing for you know that financial aid you know element that's it's only counted as as five point six four percent. So it's I love the example of you put in six thousand dollars and and you pay six thousand dollars for college. Some people are you know pay when the bill is due. They pay ten because like the, you know it increases from six to ten with the tax benefits and growth. Or you end up paying twenty four thousand off of student loans, right? So it's like everyone pays the different amounts, right? If you save versus you know pay at, at different points in, in time. So there's a, a smaller impact to financial aid, but you know so there's five point six four percent is is just for the parent. And as as we think about everyone else with the Financial Aid Simplification Act going into effect, you know, you know, next year, basically the, this fall, that, that 2023-2024, you know, academic year, we'll be using the, the Financial Aid Simplification Act, which is really cool because 
there's all the different, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, and family, and anyone who's involved in saving and paying for, you know, this person in, in their family, there's no impact, you know, from a financial aid perspective, either as an asset or an income perspective. And I, and I, I think that's a very intriguing item so that if you have someone, a loved one in, in your life, you know, and you're saving for someone who may not be like your child on, on paper, then there's going to be no impact for that person from a financial aid perspective, which, which is really cool. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community through access to credit, tools to manage debt and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Gotcha. So that's a significant change, though, right? Because I think well, that was one of the risks. Because can you is still the max contribution to a single plan over a lifetime still one hundred and thirty-five thousand, or has, have they increased that? That that's kind of you know dramatically. So there's there's all these different mathematical pieces where it had it was like the, the maximum you know for in state schools. So it's it, it like like the average is actually closer to to four hundred and thirty six thousand. Like in terms of the maxes, I I think that the top one is getting closer to six hundred thousand. The the smaller ones, perhaps in in the you know southern belt, are, are closer to like two hundred and twenty thousand, which is still significant, right? Absolutely. Because you're looking at, at at four years of school of your most expensive school, like in state, plus your your most expensive grad school, which is your typically your, your medical school. So it's like that at full cost of education. Now here's where things kind of get interesting. As you expand the number of qualified expenses, you know, from you know just you know college. And in grad school to apprenticeships and and rollovers to Roth, those caps are you know could potentially arguably be, be higher. So it it is sort right. of an interesting dynamic. But you know by and large, a very small like I'd say like one or two percent based off of our re- research really are talking about that that really hitting the, those cap levels. You know broadly speaking. So sure, I'm going to jump back to something you talked about here. This whole idea of when you're going to pay for it and how you're going to pay for it, right? So you have parents who have the choice to, to put in that $6 a day, and or they have the choice to pay for college when their kids are in college, or they have the choice to pay for their college through student loans. And all along the way, it's getting more expensive at the longer you wait. That the, same cost. The, the, right. The, the cost of covering that gets more expensive because you're not tapping into the power of compounding interest because you're actually switching the power of compounding interest from being in your favor when you're contributing to a plan like this early on and all the way to switching the power of compounding interest towards the banks because you're paying for the interest through student loans. It's interesting. There's been some data that came out recently, a study that was performed by savings.com that showed that parents who have adult children, roughly 50% of parents who have adult children are funding their children's livelihood in some manner. Some daily expense. Even people who are in their 20s and 30s and older, and the average amount that they're spending is $1,442 a month. So what you're kind of getting at here is that if parents, aunts and uncles, grandparents 
decided to front run this to a certain degree and put it into a 529 plan, they may may be alleviating themselves from having to pay so much later on in life, not only for the student loans or for college, but potentially their kids would be making enough money to cover those kinds of expenses themselves (laughs) because they're no longer having to pay for student loans. (laughs) Yeah, very, very well, well stated. You know, at at the end of the road, a lot of the times you're just, you know, as some people say, you know, once they hit 18, 19 years old, it's like, I don't care how much the cost of college is. I need to get you off my couch. Right. So (laughs) uh, for my transparency, my, my child is 10 and seven. And, and so from that perspective, so I don't have a teenager yet. I don't have a 13 year old yet, but usually when they hit that 13 year old age, you're like, I'm going to start saving a lot to, to you know, I need get to get you out. Next stage. I need to get you out. So right. Suddenly well the relationship, become, relationship becomes acrimonious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you do have children, folks, really consider this idea of using compounding interest as a benefit for yourself whether that's for your children or for yourself, we can start a 529 plan for ourselves, right? We can open up an account and start funding it for ourselves and get the tax benefits both through growth or if we live in a state that has high income taxes, we have that tax benefit then. I think there's two very good points. One is that you can actually open up the 529 account for yourself and maybe you want to go to grad school later. Maybe you want to be a lifelong learner or take a class at a local community college. Maybe you want to go to Italy and and, and study Italian before you go. That that that's a really cool idea. Ooh. Um, but 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 <laughs> but also with the Secure Two Point you know, kind of legislation in fifteen years, you can you know use that to fund your your Roth IRA. Now why is that not now why is that a, a very intriguing piece? Well, we also have the compounding interest you were talking about. So me mm-hmm. being in Pennsylvania. I, I get a tax deduction up to seventeen thousand per per person, you know, for you know a, a tax deduction from my state income tax for contributions into the five twenty nine plan. Our current state tax rate is is three point six percent, but we're they're looking to move it up to six percent. So it is a material. So, so not only do you get the compounding interest, but you're also getting compounding interest and state tax deduction. So that that's intriguing. And of course, it, it, that does kind of vary state by state by state. Before I was in Pennsylvania, I was in New Hampshire. So you, you don't even file state tax deduction, like your state tax income, because there there is no state tax income. You know, so, it, so it is sort of like an intriguing conversation. But even at a minimum, that federal tax deferred growth and that state tax deferred growth is very intriguing. And of course, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there will be a number of people who do open up a 529 account for themselves because... They can either you know use it for someone else in their life or, or change the beneficiary, or they can use it to fund their own you know Roth. And I think that's a very intriguing conversation in 2023. And and when I look at the video in 15 years, and and, and so we can kind of think about it, like who who took advantage of that. I, I think that's that's going to be a, a great like planning opportunity for families across the U.S. Yeah, it's become such a better tool. I mean, people were excited about it when I was on the phone in the early 2000s. It's just an even better product now. So let's talk a little bit more about the the Roth contribution benefit. So say I say today I'm almost 50. I decide to open up an account and, I, and we contribute $5,000 a year into this 529 plan each for ourselves because we want to move to Spain and then take some culinary classes and take some Spanish classes and, and, and be able to speak Spanish more fluently. We could use that money to help fund that education and then whatever is left over we could put into a Roth. Is that all legal? Yep. Yeah. I mean, so, so there's going to be the, the annual limit. So, so you know, this year there's 6,500, you know, cap. So it's, you know, 
with inflation, it'll, it'll go up every year. But yeah, mm-hmm. so, so that basic scenario works. Just every every year, you'll have to you know make that transfer over to the you know, Roth IRA until you get to 30, 35,000. I imagine that in time, they're going to increase that 30, you know, 35,000. It's just sort of like a, you know, everything kind of gets indexed over time, but you sure. know, that, lo and behold, that, that, that'll be good. And so. so that, that, that's a current lifetime max of 35,000 from the 529 to a Roth. Yes. But that'll likely go. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So it's all, it's almost like you're, you're saying the $6,500 annually is basically saying, okay, you can contribute to your Roth account via moving money over, but we're going to maintain that limit of how much you can move over. Right. right? So if you're sitting there with $400,000 in your 529 plan, because your parents and family contributed a lot, you can't move all $400,000 over to a Roth. It's there's limits. Right. Now, yeah, okay, that, that, but still, thirty-five thousand is pretty significant. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. yeah it, it's pretty close to the average account balance of of someone who is is getting close to, you know, college, like senior year in high school. That 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 is the ballpark for the average account size. Of course, you know that that brings into another issue that the that the average balance is only close to you know one when, when you're at Penn State or you know like maybe if you're in Florida like two years of, of, of undergrad or you know if, if it's a more private school you know like Boston College or Emory that's only like one semester right so <laughs> yeah. so we're, we're, we're not, we, when we think about the opportunity for growth yeah there's you know there's a lot of opportunity for people to, to save more but I think I think one of the great telling points we've seen so far is it's really that people I, I've, I've run into people who have been saving with a 529 plan and they're like I don't know if my my child will go to college. Now I feel stupid for having to open up a five nine account because what if they just don't go? It's like, mm-hmm. well, now now you can roll it over to Roth, and it's just a, a, a mind opener for, for those. I think you know, in terms of just big demographic trends, we've also seen people say in like Washington or, or you know who you know perhaps just decide to work for Microsoft. It, it's more focused on on specific tech skills. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the other intriguing developments that that we'll probably see at, at, at some point in the next couple of years is expansion of qualified expenses over to credential programs. So, you know, yeah. so people who want to like develop more tech skills, you know, can go towards that route or, Hey, who knows, maybe FinCon will, will create a credential program and then we can you know, go, <laughs> spend go it there, there and uh, send, it, send it there. So, yeah. <laughs> so interesting. So like, while, like yeah, if you're the, the favorite uncle and you have a new niece or nephew who just came born, you can open up a five twenty nine plan for them. Start funding that for them to help them prepare for college. But even if you're in your thirties, forties, fifties, you can open up a five twenty nine plan for yourself for a way to enhance your quality of life when you're in retirement or later in life, and you want to learn some of these new skills and continue to challenge yourself. But you decide that you're not going to use all that money. There's still that backup reserve that you can put it now into into a Roth, so both you and your new niece and nephew can have an amazing life together. Yeah, I love that. It's, I, lo- I love this. Also, love this idea that you brought up. There is some fun education out there yeah. that you can use this money for, and there are lots of people who are lifelong learners. They want to go to culinary school when they're in their sixties, or go to Italy and take Spanish or take Italian classes. But a lot of these accounts are. They're an investing account, right? So it's not like it's very similar to a 401k 
that you put the money in, but there are decisions that need to be made to make it grow, right? And there are fees that are associated with these accounts. Can you touch on that a little bit? How does that work? Who makes the the investing decisions? What are some suggestions on where we do this? Yep. I'll tackle the, the fee question first, then we can kind of go over to the investment decision-making process you know, later. But by and large, there's about 16 million you know, 529 accounts now, there's over 400, you know, billion in, in assets being saved. So, you know, but wow. the, the reason why I, why I talk about the larger scale is that, you know, the initial, you know, account opening fees have, have pretty much, you know, gone away. But, you know, like, you just want to make sure that there's not like an, like an account opening fee, you know, when, when one opens up, up the account. There's also fees along the way of, you know, perhaps like an annual maintenance fee. So just making sure that, that you're aware if there's initial account opening fee and then like a like an annual maintenance fee. I, I think another intriguing question is whether or not to use a financial advisor. Financial advisors are are, are great. They're kind of like you know personal trainers for for you know working out. Like we all want to work out every day, but you know if we had a trainer that says like you're going to get up and put on your shoes and run, you know that that's sort of the the mentality of, of what I see for financial advisors. Like through all the rain of of 2022, like they're really you know, convincing you to, to get out there. So, but that being said, I, I say that just because you know a lot of them do charge initial fees or, or ongoing fees, but there's also like an investment fees. Like so there's you know, you look at the plan disclosure agreements and you can really see, is there a state fee? Is there a program management fee? Is there an investment fee? And then is there a distribution fee? So so depending on whether one goes direct or not, like direct being, you know, just going onto a website and enrolling or through a financial advisor, two very different routes from a fee perspective. From an investment selection perspective, Usually the investment professional advisor will choose the investments for you. But if you go the direct route, then then it's really like the onus is on the individual to select the, the, the investment options that, that work best for them. What's very intriguing is that we went from this, this age-based sort of modal where it was like, oh, your child is two and this is a product used for college. So it's a 16-year. So all you need to say was like, oh, my child's two and of course they're going to go to college. Right. But and, and then we kind of pivoted over to enrollment date that because of what if they're going to apprenticeships or, or using using the money for different things. So so then you're saying like a twenty thirty-four, you know, being their their year that they're you're expecting them to enroll in college, you know, type of thing or or, or apprenticeships. But now that there's this whole thing around, you know, the ability to roll over to Roth IRAs, are we gonna see just like people just investing in, in target risk, like these very long-term type of investments? You know, because people are are looking to save for fifteen years or even longer. You know, so you, so you don't really need to invest in an age based you know type of option that sort of like becomes more conservative over time because you're just staying in in a in a longer term you know type of an investment. But lo, lo and behold, the investment decision is is the investor or it's the decision of the financial advisor. But it, what I will say, you know, with with the debt free guys is I think the biggest hurdle is just opening up an account, you know, so it's just, you know, the, the, the biggest hurdle is just like, you know, there's the awareness issue, there's just like opening up, up an account, and then it's like, and then putting in, you know, that $6 a day, you know, from my perspective, you know, there's, of course, there's a difference in, in fees and performance across the, the different options. And I'm not going to belittle that, but there's a big difference between like if if you select the worst investment options versus not even open up an account, like you're still better off if even if you move forward and and start the the route down 
the marathon or the or the hiking trail versus just just starting at just like staying at home on the couch kind of you know example so it's better to get out there, you know, barefooted than to stay on the couch because you'll probably get farther. So yeah, absolutely. So if you listen to our interview with David Bach and he talked about giving yeah. up your daily coffee for whatever, what do they call it? Coffee costs what like six dollars and fifty cents these days, if not more. So if you've given that up, now you can put that at daily expense into your five twenty nine plan. You have all that money to go through college or to prepare for retirement. But I, I wanted to tackle you. You touched on something that I think is a unique challenge now with some of the changes that they have made to the plans. Timmy might not go to college when he's 18 or 20 years old. And some of that money might be used for his retirement at this point, maximum of 35,000. How are you advising people to, to determine how much risk they want to take for these types of accounts since they are kind of like now lifelong accounts and not just accounts that you use in 18 years for a span of four to eight years? Well, it's a, it's a great kind of mention. I, I'm not a municipal fund advisor, so I'm not a municipal advisor. So I don't I don't recommend you know any type of you know investments to people, but but broadly speaking, you know it it does make sense that yeah uh, you know, at least from a, from a market data perspective, I'll, I'll take the market data perspective based on, on our market data and research. Two thirds of people do put their money into age based tracks, and so it, and and so it's just to the extent that people are are putting in age based or enrollment date, and so that that's the most you know popular item. There's also the target risk perspective of you know going risky. Or going conservative, and then also just the individual investment options, which are, are much more for you know, newer type of investment options, like, like ESG and, and investing. But it, but it does make sense, broadly speaking, that people sort of align their longevity, like how long they are looking to invest for, with their with their level of risk, and then mm-hmm. obviously as well, you know, balancing that with with all the other things that are that are going on. You know, with with their life. So some people have use a five nine account and and have a brokerage account and all, all these other type of ways to, to fund college. And so they can be, you know, very risky with five two nines. Where where some people they may just have be using one vehicle to save and pay for education. So they may have to be more more conservative. And and I I think the best answer that I've ever heard, which was you know, whatever helps you sleep well at night. <laughs> so if you're, you know, so if you're not sleeping at night, cause you're just, you're just not feeling good about the risk, either tone down the risk or, or talk to the advisor who may be able to, you know, really help you, you guide through. It's like, well, this, this may feel risky, but, you know, based off of long-term averages and, and things like that, you know, they, they may, may be able to kind of, you know, educate you to make you feel more calm. So as you know, the, the, the investing space is as much of a mental game as it is um, <laughs> yeah. like the, like Especially the functional game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Post-COVID. <laughs> what, what, I, what I will say is like, yeah, there's a lot of focus recently on twenty what happened in 2022, but from 2019 to 2022, the S&P 500 was up just over 7%. So it's like if, like as sometimes we focus on year to year to year performance, but this is, you know, by and large, like an 18-year investment or, or even longer if you're looking to really use it for raw. So it's a it's a very much of a of a long game. So it's as much as we look at what's going on in the stock market today and what's going that there is only two investment changes allowed per year in 529. So as much as one may want to look at the market, uh, you know, with 529, they're really created for long-term growth I, I think one of the one of the questions in that were, that was in the, in the prep call was was really around the, the questions around the investment lineups but th- these are set investment lineups so depending on which 529 plan you choose 
like you are sort of allocated the type of investment options you can really select where for like a Roth IRA, you can invest in pretty much anything under the sun, depending on, on your brokerage firm. So I, you know, like you probably have a lot better sense for the number of investment options, but, but probably thousands. So let's just say thousands within a Roth IRA, traditionally within most brokerage houses or clearing houses or, or, or what have you. But most 529 plans, the average investment option on, on direct sold plans is closer to say, let's just say 14 and an advisor sold channel is closer to, to 30. So mm-hmm. much, much more consolidated than um, everything <laughs> than under the sun, right? Yeah. And, and I guess from that perspective, a little bit, a, a little bit easier on, on the direct sold channel. We are talking about the personal finance and keeping things simple and like simplistic. It's sort of like when you go into the shoe store, right? In the old traditional manner, it's it's, it's you know if you, if someone shows you two shoes, you'll you'll make a quicker decision than than the, than a hundred options, right? It, like. People, the tyranny of choices is the, the, the tyranny of choices. I, I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I struggle sometimes over the one or two. <laughs> <laughs> right. So one other question I think that's is an, is an important one is the difference in plans that are state based versus, I guess, non state based that give you a little bit more options. Can you kind of explain the difference? In part because state school-based ones have some guidelines that probably wouldn't allow you to go to Italy and take Italian classes, right? <laughs> well, there's a, there's a couple of different items there. So all 529s are municipal fund securities. So every single 529 plan is is administered by a, a state agency. And then, but some, some 529 plans are much more focused on the investment manager like like Schwab, right? So it's so Schwab is through Kansas, but when you think about you know Schwab's 529 plan, it's really Schwab's, but Schwab is is administered by Kansas. But the but the real question within the question I, I think is is the difference between the, the 93 529 savings plans. A lot of them are very similar. It's much more of like your traditional you know 401k and defined contributions where you put the money in and it grows depending on the the volatility or performance of the, of the market. And for those plans, by and large, you can use those for any any college in, in the US or, or abroad. If they have a, have a FAFSA code, that's sort of like an indicator that, that you can use them, them abroad. But there's there's the, these other type of 529 plans. They were actually the original. So, so the original 529 prepaid plans were the original ones that were that were started in the 1980s. And but there's only 10 left. There's 10 529 prepaid plans, and they're all very different. They're all very structured very different. Some of them have, have the nuances that you can only use them for in-state school. Some of them are, are nuanced where it's very specific for what they cover or they don't. For those, I, I, I typically tell people to look at the plan disclosure agreement because it will clearly say, this is used for college tuition. You can use this one for room and board. Florida has a really cool one in the case that there's there's like one, there's all these different options. There's one for in-state college, one for in-state private college. And then it even has options for dorm rooms. So it's like, what kind of dorm rooms like do you want to have? So it's really sort of like, you know, you know broad because it was, I, I want to say Senator Graham sort of like championed the initial launch of, of 529 plans in, in Florida in the 1980s. But there's all these different like nuances in terms of like what they cover, what they don't. But what I think is very educational for pretty much everyone, and part of my sort of got mail campaign is like read the plan disclosure agreement. There's all this information everywhere about 529 plans, but the but the plan disclosure 
is what tells you what is and what is not and, and you know for your specific plan but the 529 prepay plans some of them prepay the tuition so some of them say like you you put in x in this pays for one semester of college or you put in y and this is one for the percentage of the one year of of tuition where some of them are are actually they're called prepaid but they're really a they invest in a, an abundant index that is you know guaranteed to kind of grow at a certain rate of increase over time and those are almost not tradi- like actually not technically a prepaid plan so it's it's so massachusetts prepaid plan is actually not a a prepaid it's a prepaid plan it's not a, a 529 prepaid plan so it is, it is kind of neat so for the prepaid strip world take a look at the plan disclosure agreements but for anyone it is it is kind of good to look at it because the plan disclosure agreement has investment options the fees the, the initial fees the ongoing fees all, all, all those different kind of components like like if if you can change the beneficiary or the account owner and all the different sort of mechanics of, of what you what you can and can't do. So yeah, gotcha. definitely. And the the reason I bring that up, folks, is with what we see going on with LGBT laws, anti-LGBT legislation, if you are choosing a 529 plan, you may want to look at one that's flexible enough in case your kids or your the the beneficiary they're opening this for decides that they do not or cannot go to school in that particular state because of anti-LGBTQ legislation just makes them don't they don't feel safe in that state. So please be careful when you're opening these up. And as Paul said, make sure you're reading that plan disclosure. You really do understand what it is that you're investing in and the way in which the funds can or will be used. So we appreciate your time with us, Paul. This has been, been an interesting, right, interesting discussion. There's This is a topic that I think we kind of opened up with this, that there's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts that you need to be aware of. So we just scratched the surface, folks. Take your time when you're looking at these plans. Call your investment advisor if you have one or get on the phone with the brokerage firm that you are working with and ask them what the options are and try to understand these a little bit more. So if our audience wants to connect with you to learn a little bit more, how can they do that, Paul? Probably two different ways. One is our our newsletter, 529-e-newsletter. Go to 529conference.com, click the newsletter and you can subscribe. And, And the second way is, connect with me on social media. So I'm always happy to, to connect on social media and, and help get the message out there and get the excitement. And thank you for your time today. Of course. And you have a 529 plan conference coming up soon, right? September? In September. So it's we pull together all the different groups and we we pull in the states, the product providers, the distributors, all, like all the tech firms and fintech. And it's a, it's a great opportunity just to, to learn more about 529s. And it's you know just a, a great sort of environment that, that gets people excited about, you know, saving saving efficiently for education. Nice. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Paul, for helping us with this very important topic. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here's your takeaway from this episode. 529 plans aren't right for everyone, but just because they're not right for everyone doesn't mean they're not right for you. So do your research to see if a 529 plan is right for you or can help you help build generational wealth for someone you love.
Then join us this Thursday when we talk about the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly city in the great state of New Jersey. <laughs> and next Tuesday, when we talk about the financial reward of being your true authentic self as a LGBTQ plus entrepreneur with Matt Halloran of Proudmouth Media. Thank you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.